in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. Hey, Graphic Audio fans. This is Dwayne Beeman, and welcome to another episode of All in Your Mind. Today, we bring the conclusion of our interview with the author of the Demon Cycle series, Peter V. Brett. If you missed part one of the interview, do yourself a favor and check it out. Now, on to the interview. Is it, was it weird at first listening to uh, Word of Man back in the beginning? Was yes. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't, when I first started writing, I was not that familiar with audiobooks. Right. I think that, you know, at that point, we were right in that transition stage where it was still like, it would come as 25 CDs, you know, that yeah. you'd have to put in individually yeah. or, rip, or rip them all to your computer and right, then turn them into right, MP3 right, files and then right, redown them on. Yeah. And so it was right. just, it was a massive pain in the ass right. to it listen to an audiobook. Yeah. And um, so I just didn't have a lot of experience with it. Um, and so it took a little while listening to the first book for me to get used to it. And I think, like, the one thing that, like, there's this scene in the beginning of Warded Man where um, Arlen is being bullied by these like other kids, and so he's 11, mm-hmm. and like the kids that are bullying him are like maybe like 12 or 13. Yeah. And like so, one day he like hides a stick somewhere, uh, where like at a place where they normally like will like isolate him and, and beat him up. So he set it up. And and so uh, he like pretends that they've cornered him, and then he comes out with the stick and he like you know whacks him a little bit and like you know gets him to stop. Yeah. pushing them around and the graphic audio version it sounds like he's beating them to death <laughs> like and I'm just like well, that, 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 that was Johan there's this like there's this like like loud whacking noise and these like wet thumps and like it just like and I, and, and I like listened to that and I was like oh my god <laughs> Yeah, um, as played by Charles Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and that was like chapter one. And so, I was, so, so there was a minute where I was like, "What am I listening to?" <laughs> but but what's really like amazed me about this series is, as all of the actors have settled into their roles, mm-hmm. like it's just gotten better and better and better. Oh, yeah. Where like now, you know, like like the characters, like you can tell that the actor walks right in and they're like, I know exactly how to be this character. You know this guy, yeah. And and it's the same. I, I guess it's the same with me writing them. It, it's mm-hmm. that like there's a there's a familiarity there now that when they interact with each other, it's so strong. And like yeah. the accents are so good and like the the voices are so distinctive that it, it's gotten really compelling. And I was I was telling Rose that some of the voice actors like they're now in my head when I'm writing. You know, mm, it's gotten pretty, to that point where like awesome. I can't read like um, a Game of Thrones novel without picturing Peter Dinklage. Right, now, right, right, right. And it's the same, you know, with uh, a lot of the characters in the Demon Cycle now. Like I uh, hear their voices. I'm telling you, there are people when I send them the new scripts, they are like Finally, <laughs> finally, back to playing her. Well, I was telling you about Alyssa Wilmoth, who yeah. plays uh, in Everett. And, oh my God, you want to talk about somebody who's really excited whenever the, the book comes up again, you know? Yeah, I mean, she, and cool. Alyssa is amazing. I, was, I, I think I told you on the phone that um, Random House wanted to make a book trailer for Daylight War, 
and have Inevra narrate it. You know, so there was like a little um, animatic with Inevra and like her like robes are blowing around. She's like throwing her dice and she's right. talking about like you know like her prophecy <coughs> for for the book or whatever. And I said you have to get Alyssa Wilmoth. So like let's track her down and like they like we yeah, called you I guys up that. and, and, I remembered, and yeah. uh, you were happy to give us her information and she yeah. she knocked it out of the park. She's amazing. Oh, she's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's one of our. She gets work all the time around here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what a, one of the things you've alluded to, or maybe we didn't talk about it. I, I, we had a, before we recorded this podcast, we had a lunch together where we were talking about a bunch of things, and now it's starting to bleed together what we've mm-hmm. talked about and what we didn't. But you, uh, well, you, you alluded to the fact that you've got a daughter, but you actually have two. Yeah, you have an older one. Um, what do does does she ask about the stories that you write? Does My she, older daughter. Yeah, she does and she doesn't. I mean, like, she's she's fascinated that Daddy's a writer. Yeah, she. I think she wants to be a writer herself. Oh, she has like stacks of like Mead notebooks in her room that she fills. Wow. Like, I try to respect her privacy and not read them. Like right. every once in a while, I'll like flip through and just. She doesn't bring any to you. No, well, she she also makes zines. So she like uh-huh. in one in a book that she read, she learned how to like fold a piece of paper into like a little eight page booklet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so she makes these little stories. Like she has this series called like Super Kitty. And um, <laughs> how and old is she now? She's nine. Now. Okay. And so she's up to like Super Kitty number nine. <laughs> and, and so she likes to tell me that she's written more books than I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's she's fascinated in what I do. She likes to like you know she's happy to like come to like a signing and like flap the books for me to sign. Yeah. And like she knows the names of the characters on on all the covers and like has like a vague sense of what their story is. Yeah. But she also like knows that like my books are grown up books. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she's never expressed the desire to to read them herself. The time will and come. And I'm not in a rush for that. No, no. You know, right, right. I'd well, because she be a little get, older. You get a lot of, like, I saw there's a picture of you with a bust of uh, of uh, uh, one of the demons. All the guy, all the guy, the demon king. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I imagine you have other little tchotchkes that that have been. Yeah, they're all over the house. Action figures and things like that. So I, I imagine there would be a, a natural curiosity about, well, who is this person? What do they do? And what is their story? And that kind of thing. Yeah, and I tell her all of that. Kind and of she a, has a sense of who all the characters are. And like the bust, we made that because all of the other covers are photographs that have been then digitally painted over. Right. And I wanted a demon on the cover of the last book. And they they were like, well, we don't know how to do that because you know, we work with <laughs> a photographer. It's all manip, yeah. And so I was like, well, what if we go to a special effects house and make like a demon like mask or like you know like like oh. do like a full like makeup cosplay thing, and then do a photo shoot with that with like you know lots of shadows and yeah. everything, and then you can digitally paint over that. And I think because it was the last book in a series that was doing really well, and they wanted you know they had a little extra budget for the cover, they're like, all right, we'll see what we can do. And they had Millennium FX, which is this um, movie special effects house yeah, in the I've UK. Yeah, yeah. They do work for Game of Thrones yeah, and you course, know a lot yeah. of other big mm-hmm. things. They built this, you know, life-sized demon bust with like the head and shoulders. That's like it's terrifying. It's pretty it's, cool. It's amazing looking. <laughs> yeah, it and really they, all spiky and yeah. And then they had a, a model put on this like um, demon shirt almost. You know, it was like. Um, 
textured like like uh, reptile skin and it had big claws and, and oh, okay. everything. And he sort of like hunched around and like macked for the camera and then they did a photo shoot of the bust and then they digitally put the head onto sure. his body and like it came out it looks amazing. That's it looks cool. really great. And then, so like one day, like this gigantic box arrives on my doorstep from the UK, and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> and they sent they sent me the bust. Oh, oh how's and that? So now awesome. it's, it now it lives in my office, and it's interesting because my my baby daughter frequently sleeps in my office, um, and, <laughs> and she loves that demon. Does really? she really? He's like her friend. He guards her at night. And uh, so I thought she would be like, kind of scared. Well, he, well he if you grow up like with nothing's going to get past it. Yeah. If you hold her up in front of it, she starts cooing and reaching out for oh. it. And like... I've like I've got I've, I post, I've posted a little video on Instagram of her like you know like giving kisses to the demon. Oh, like, oh that's <laughs> great! One of these days when she's a teenager, she'll bring home a boy that looks very much like that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew teenagers. When we're all genetically like modified. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweetheart, don't date a splice. <laughs> you know that gene therapy is no good for you. <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, what are the, we, were, we touched on this a little bit. Um, one of the aspects these days of being a, a, an author and, and promoting yourself and your product and keeping your, your, your books in the, in the public consciousness while you're in the midst of writing them is you need to be a social media guru. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that process or learning how to... Uh, you know, you were telling you were telling us earlier that you that you had your your what uh, you had a, a linked up so all the social yeah, media linked all up. Daisy yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. So if I the way I have it set up right now is that if I post something to Instagram, it will automatically push to Twitter, mm -hmm. and anything that I post on Twitter automatically pushes to my Facebook personal page. And anything that goes to my Facebook personal page pushes to my Facebook author page. Right. So if I start with Instagram, and if, and I and I so I have to start with a photo. I can then have I can do one post and have that bounce everywhere, mm -hmm. which is useful. No, it only works that way. It only works in that it only works in that direction. Okay. Um, so, but sometimes like uh, the problem is that Instagram doesn't have a limit for characters. So sometimes you'll type too much text in the caption, and then Facebook, uh, then Twitter cuts it off, right. and then it doesn't ma make it to Facebook. Right. So like, right. you have to be like conscious of all the conscious formats, of that, yeah. or like uh, Instagram now has a feature where you can post multiple pictures. But if you do that, only the first one will make it to hmm. Twitter, um, unless you click the link back to to go to Instagram. And and so like it, it gets confusing. Yeah. They don't want to work together. You right, know, right. It's not in their interest to, They're to, proprietary, to work together yeah, like that. Yeah. And so I also think that if you post something directly to Facebook, rather than have it come through like something that like a push feed like that, it gets higher uh, in the algorithm of like people. People are more likely pushed, to see it. It gets pushed forward. Yeah. So you have to think about all of these things. Fortunately, before I quit my day job to become a full time writer. I was head of production at Edelman PR for... Um, oh. Edelman PR is the largest privately owned um, PR company in the world. Wow. And they had a subdivision called Bioscience, which does their pharmaceutical marketing. Um, 
and I was head of the head of production at Bioscience, but I had access to the resources of all of Edelman PR, and they would regularly have classes on social media. How to do this? Where thing. they would say like, okay, you know, take your lunch hour, and instead of using it for your lunch hour, you know, we're going to give a little mini seminar on how to use Twitter or how to use Facebook or whatever. That's great. And it was usually based on like how to not humiliate yourself online, <laughs> you know, by like yeah. by like Ted cruising like a porn video or something. Yeah. <laughs> Like, so, you, you, you know, like, like, at, social media was just getting started then. Right. And, like, a lot of companies were dipping into it and then finding out its pitfalls. And yeah. so one of Edelman's uh, uh, specialties was coming into a, a company with a damaged reputation and fixing it. And some of that aspect was teaching them, like, no, you can't just treat social media like the wild west yeah. you have to control mm -hmm. what you're saying yep. you have to like think about like the ramifications of what you're saying right. you can't get angry you can't you know like yeah. like you have to like check your spelling you know like and so all of these sort of basic things that like you would think that you know would come naturally to most people. I like, can think of a president that could use your company. And so, like, and, and I had the benefit of that. I and because I was head of production, I like had contacts at a bunch of printing houses. I understood like the differences wow. in like paperweights and you know four color process versus a five color process. And I and I. Um, hired people to build websites and I hired people to make pro promotional items and I would hire artists to do like cover art or, or yeah. like art, art for an ad or something. And so I had this skill set that most authors don't have. No way, yeah. And so when I started working professionally, like I was able to build a good website. I was able to like make cool looking business cards. Yeah. I was able to make, I have these like book plates that I send out to people that, um, you know, it's like a, a sticker that has like a design that I had painted on it and um, I can like sign it and mail it anywhere in the world relatively cheaply and then people can peel off the sticker and stick it in their book and then they have a signed book. That's and, right. And oh, that's, so, that's a cool idea. And a lot of times I'll go to bookstores and I'll sign all the books there and I'll stick in book plates saying like, all right, well, if you buy The Warded Man, you, you can have this. a book plate to make, you know, if you buy book two, you can turn that into a signed book two. Um, and so little things like that I was able to do because I, you know, had taken classes in social media. I, like, yeah. had a sense of how to hire an artist, how to, like, make an art contract that was fair, how to uh, build a website, and, like, you know, a general sense of how to market. Um, and so that put me ahead of a lot of other writers at the time. Definitely. Um, and has been a huge benefit to oh, my career. For sure. How, um, what's the process like when you're doing that, um, uh, a promotional, say a book tour or something, uh, where you're doing a lot of book signings and just trying to get out there and let, make people aware of your thing, while you're writing the next one? Um, is, is that a juggling act? Is that, is that difficult? Uh, I generally don't write while I'm on tour. You don't, okay. Um, I will... I will work while I'm on tour, but mm -hmm. my work is usually like promoting wherever I am right, and promoting right, right. where it's I'm, I'm going to be right. next. The skill set you're talking about. Right. It. So, yeah. like, I, I'll go to an event, um, and 
take pictures while I'm there. Like usually, like when I first get there, if there's a crowd there, I'll take like a selfie with me in front of the crowd. Go, you know, like yeah, yeah. look, mom, I have a real job. <laughs> and then um, if there's people that I interact with regularly online or who've entered like my fan art contests or whatever, like mm-hmm. I get pictures with them. If people give me a gift, I make sure to take pictures of that. And then uh, when I get back to my hotel room after the event, I upload all of that to Dropbox so that my assistant can put all of that stuff on like in like a Facebook album and put it on my like on my blog, mm-hmm. and um, you know I'll will send her an email going like all right this picture is this person this picture is that person and, and like label all that so that then she can run with that and and put that together into a blog post or, or whatever, and then at the same time then I'm like in that post she'll also be like oh and tomorrow he's going to be you know at this place at this place, and so just doing that is exhausting yeah. while, while you're traveling. Yeah. And so I, I usually don't push myself to try and write creatively while I'm on until tour. You're I wait till I get back home and like readjust to my home time zone. And that then, makes and sense. And I go back to that, it. That makes um, perfect sense. You did um, uh, one graphic novel, Red, Red Sonia Unchained. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, did you find it rewarding or frustrating or both yeah (laughs) (laughs) um it sort of fell into my lap by accident i um was hanging out with uh brandon sanderson who's also at my literary agency Mm -hmm. we were at new york comic-con this was years ago and he was having a meeting with dynamite comics uh i guess he was talking about doing an adaptation of um Mistborn or one Probably of those? Probably Mistborn because yeah. it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was long before like Way of Kings or anything. So, right. uh, so he was talking to, to Dynamite Comics and, and I was just happened to be there. Yeah. And I started talking to the um, Nick Barucci who's the head of Dynamite Comics and I was saying, oh, you know, like I, I, I read your books. I love your books. And like they had recently reacquired the rights to Red Sonja and relaunched Red Sonja. So Red Sonja was a Conan spinoff right. that I read, you know, when I was a kid, yeah, and then was canceled somewhere in the '80s, like right around the time they made the Brigitte Nielsen movie. Right, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Kiss of Death. The book got canceled, and um, the character was just in limbo for yeah. I don't know twenty years or so, and then Dynamite came in and they reacquired the rights to like, you know, Vampirella and Red right. Sonja, all the Warren comics, you know, stuff, uh, uh, like. Um, what's uh, the Green Hornet and Mm -hmm. and so they picked up a lot of those sort of loose but recognizable characters licensed properties yeah and relaunched them as comics and I was saying like wow you know I really love that you relaunched Red Sonja and like the artist um, I think it was Michael Avon Oming that was doing it at the Mm -hmm. time was like amazing and then Mel Ruby took over and Mel Ruby was amazing and like so I I was talking to him about that and I was talking to him about the, the Red Sonja comics that I'd read when I was a kid, when, like, Frank Thorne was doing it, and right. then... Um, that was Marvel, right? Yeah. 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 And it was Mary Wilshire took over for a while when I was, you know, in the 80s when I was reading it. And he was just so, like, shocked by my depth of knowledge you about comics <laughs> that he, he was like, we got to get you in to write some Red Sonja. And I was like, look, I can't, I can't do an ongoing book. Yeah, I've yeah. got my own thing, but, like, I'll do, you know, I'll do a one-shot. I'll, yeah. I'll totally do a one-shot. And so in in the 80s, when I was reading it, Red Sonja didn't wear the chainmail bikini. She wore this, like, blue fur, like, 
leotard thing. A little bit closer to practical gear. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess it was like, you know, Conan wore like the, the fur, like, you know, the, pair of underpants or whatever. Right. <laughs> and so they put her in like a fur bathing suit too, but it was mm. blue. And like, what animal has blue fur? Baby fur. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> But like it always just it always amused the hell out of me, and I you know they picked it because it went well with her red hair. But yeah, like right, <laughs> so I was like, look, I want to do a book. Uh, like after I'd signed the contract to do it, I was like, here's the book I want to do. I want to do like a sort of funny book, and like you know in the first couple of pages, like she's gonna get in a fight and like her like chainmail bikini's gonna get destroyed, <laughs> but she's gonna be fighting this like blue demon monster. And and her chainmail bikini is going to get destroyed, so she's going to skin the monster. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great! And like that was my that was like the first like five pages of, of the book. Uh, and then she's going to be in the blue outfit for the rest of the, the, the thing the right. while she's waiting to get her armor fixed. That's because great. like the 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 red Sonya rights holders like wanted her in the bikini. Like they're like that's, that's the that's iconic the, look. That's iconic. what everybody recognizes. We don't change that. And I was like, well, can we change it for one issue? You know, just like. As yep. an homage to the right, '80s right. and like a joke, and it was months of back and forth, wow, wow. sending them plots, sending them, you know, like sending them ideas before I got them to like agree to take a chance on changing the outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did this one shot called Red Sonia Blue, which uh, I did with uh, Walter Giovanni, who was the artist, who was amazing, mm. and it. I loved doing it once we got to the stage where I was allowed to do it. To actually do it, yeah. Um, I, I loved doing it, but it was a whole different skill set yeah. than I was, like, because I'm used to having control of everything. You know, right. I mean, yeah. like, it's all me. I make all the decisions, and uh, there's no debate. Whereas when you're doing comics, you write a script. And then you send it to the artist, and sometimes the artist is like, "Nope, I did it different. I'm going to do it my way. I'm yeah. going to do it my way." And a lot of times they're right, yeah, and that's fine. And a lot of times you don't think they're right, but you got to work with it anyway because they're not going to redraw it. Yeah. And um, a lot of times you write like a, this, like you know, amazing soliloquy, and then you'll only have like a tiny bit of spa- <laughs> space in the panel to write something, <laughs> and so you have to scrap what you wrote. But still keep whatever was pertinent in that and make it into a much smaller uh. word balloon. And so there was a big learning curve of like yeah. how to, you know, like how many panels do you do on a page? How do you set them up? Like, you know, like how much text can you fit into a panel and still leave sufficient room for the art? Bar, and right, like, right. it took a while for me to get the hang of that. And so the book did well enough that they asked me to come back and do another four issues. And so I like, I did five total, all of with all with her in the blue outfit because hmm. I didn't really want to do the bikini yeah, yeah, yeah. book. Um, you know, look, I loved it when I was thirteen. Right, but, right. You know, as an adult, yeah, I kind of like was... you know. Um, and so they they brought me back and like by I think by the time I was doing the last couple of issues, I had finally gotten the hang of it. Uh huh. But it was a steep learning curve. It was a much steep learning, much steeper learning curve than I expected. Yeah. Considering I've read like ten thousand comics, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be easy," yeah, and it was not easy. No, yeah. I mean, uh, Kevin Smith talks about you know how overridden his first comics were that you know that they were just like loaded with, and and it's true. Like uh, we we adapted uh, Guardian Devil, and. And he's he's wordy to begin with. Yeah, it's hard but, to imagine Kevin Smith being wordy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's low, and and you talk about dense text; it's all over the place. And 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 Scott Snyder, who does has had a re- very successful run for DC with the Batman, uh, his interpretation of Batman, talked about 
letting go to let, he's with Greg, uh, I can't remember the name of the, uh, Greg, uh, whatever, a really brilliant artist and how he had to let go of it, uh, yeah. you know, and, and let, let trust the artist the artists and trust the artist to do their job. Yeah, tricky. Yeah, it's hard, and 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 the guys at Dynamite told me they're like every time we get an author in, there's this like overwriting problem that we have to overcome. There's a the learning curve. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> cool. Well, awesome. is there anything that you'd like? To, well, do, um, I mean, people can search for your name on the uh, on Google and and find all your social media. Oh my God! Right? Yeah. So, I mean, my I mean, basically you a Twitter handle or anything you want to promote. P V B R E T T P V Brett is my handle on everything. everything. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, if you just put in PV Brett, you'll get you'll, my we'll, page. We'll find you. Yeah. Um, and then PeterVBrett.com is my website. Okay. So everything's there. The Demon Cycle is ending with this book, The Core. The um, print book comes out in three weeks, uh, the graphic audio version. I'm not sure how much longer that'll oh, be, not but much, not much, not much not further not than that. that yeah. Really. yeah, and yeah. so now's the time to binge because you can start. That's you can start the series now and go straight through to the end. And there so, you go. And there's yeah. a wealth of material. There, there. sure Absolutely. is. Yeah, and it's will, great yeah. stuff. Where can where can people find that, Dwayne? www.graphicaudio.net. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, did we not? Is there anything you wanted to cover that we didn't? We've covered a we did pretty, pretty wide good. range there. We did pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well. Well, uh, we want well, to thank. Me, well, let me ask yeah, you. Yeah. Go ahead. Quick. Go um, ahead, Dwayne. Who were some of the people that you dug influences? Maybe. Influences. That yeah. When you was coming up, um, fantasy writers and such, or writers in general. So I. Uh, I really liked, so I like started with Tolkien, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like The Hobbit was the first book that didn't have any pictures in it that I ever bought. Oh, okay. Um, and then I started reading Terry Brooks, so I was really into Terry Brooks oh, for a yeah. while. Um, and then... He's the sort of Shannara and all that, right? Yeah, sort of Shannara. Yeah. The, yeah, the Shannara, Shannara books. books. There's yeah. a million of them at this yeah, point. Yeah, there are. Right. Um, right. So I started reading those, um, and then I was really into, like, the D&D spinoff books, like the... Um, Dragonlance and uh, Forgotten Realms. R.A. Salvatore stuff. Yeah, I was yeah. really into R.A. Salvatore for a while. He yeah. was like, he was like yeah. my hero. Uh, and then, like as I got older, I branched out a little more. I really like uh, C.S. Friedman is probably one of my favorite authors, and she is so underrated. Hmm. Her books are incredible. Um, she was a major influence on on my idea of just how big in scope you could make a fantasy world and how detailed you could have your characters be and like really sort of change my perspective a lot of things. What's her big series? What's her? Um, her there's the Cold Fire series, which is her okay. fantasy series. That was, I mean, it's probably 15, 20 years old now, but it's yeah. amazing. She, and much more hmm. recently, she has a, a, the Magister series. Um, which the last book came out maybe four years ago, and then okay. she has, but she's been writing consistently. She's got a ton of things, but like yeah. she flips. Sometimes she does science fiction. Sometimes she does uh, fantasy, fantasy. Sometimes she does like vampire stuff. And hmm. so it's th there's there's a wealth of material there. I highly recommend that. Okay, cool. Um, we may look into that. <laughs> and uh, so I really loved her books, and then I was. Uh, Listen to a lot of, uh, read a lot of Robert Jordan and oh, yeah. um, David Eddings and, and sort of like the, the whole standard like fantasy, like I like David Farland and, and Raymond Feist and um, 
so there's that. But then I know it's going to sound super cliche, but then I read Game of Thrones. Right. And mm-hmm. everything changed. Yeah. You know, where suddenly I was like, oh, the good guys don't have to win? <laughs> you know? Or like... Very seldom do it. <laughs> I mean, important characters don't have to live. <laughs> but you know, it, but it, it, it changed everything. Like, this sense of like, oh, wow, the hero died. And, and the good guys didn't win. And like, what what happens next? Yeah. And, and that what happens next like taught you so much about just how big a world can be and, and if you want the world to be reali- realistic like the good guys don't always win yeah and and so that i think was a heavy influence on my work you know this sense of like not just that the good guys don't always win but that the bad guys aren't necessarily as bad as you think you know there was this right. one you know like i guess it was storm of swords where he actually makes you feel bad for Jamie Lannister. Right. You know, and like Jamie Lannister... He like, was one of the most yeah. reviled guys at the beginning <laughs> of the story, yeah, and uh, right, right. I mean, like, without heavy spoilers, I mean, like, on page one of Game of Thrones, like, Jamie Lannister throws a nine-year-old boy out of a right. window right. just right. because he doesn't want him to blurt out a secret. Right. right. You know, like, like he sets this guy up. It's like, this guy is awful and, yeah. like, amoral and, and just... And he's one of the most sympathetic yeah. characters in the story now. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. He yeah, could, so, and right. so, like, you, you, you turn it around... He turns it around on you where, like, when you start seeing the world through his perspective, like, like I couldn't believe it when he made me feel bad for Jamie Lannister. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and so... And so then, like... And, and you see that influence in the Demon Cycle where, like, mm. in the first book you have uh, Jardir who, who's very much the antagonist in the, in that first book and then the second book we give you his pov yeah and by you know by chapter three you're rooting for him yeah and it's weird you know yeah, and like a- and like i felt like that was my real test as a writer is like if i can get the readers to like reach a point where if they see jardier encounter a problem and they want him to solve it then Victory. then i've won yeah, you know? yeah. and so I, I really think that martin leveled up my game because he showed me that like I didn't have to stick to this sort of like trite formula of like the good guys always win even when it doesn't necessarily make sense for them to mm-hmm. we'll see but now maybe you can return the favor and show him that you can actually finish a, a work like that having been this sort of thing yeah. like <laughs> I fully appreciate yeah. like the, 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 the trials that come with trying to finish something like this not only that he's in a weird position with the, with the, the, the TV series yeah. being such it's a success kind of, and taking yeah, the story forward yeah. you know yeah, uh, and, and like look I, I have 12 POV characters in my series yeah. and there are times when it makes my head want to explode yeah, yeah. you know uh, just keeping them all straight and, the, and like having their stories having them each have their own individual stories but keeping them weaving together so that they don't break too far apart and that they all come back together in the end and, and, and weave to. tightly together yeah. again for the climax is really, really hard. Yeah. And he has five times as many characters as yeah. I do. And well, it does kill off a lot of them before he, he does. To <laughs> keeps introducing new ones too. Can, yeah, that's true. As he as he thins out the herd, he he adds new ones. And and whereas I, you know, reach that level of of work uh, 
at a fairly young age. I mean, like he's, yeah. he's an older guy, and, and like, he I, has like, finished works it's before. Like, yeah, he, it's he not has like, like he's so many books that yeah, are published, exactly. Other than the Game of Thrones books, that was a snarky like, I just, comment. Like, on my I know. Yeah, I apologize. I feel like George has become everybody's punching bag. And yeah, I know the guy. I know he's a hard worker. I'm so respectful of his work, and so I just like you know what like. Like cut the guy. He'll be done when he's done. Yeah, 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 and and like like being a jerk to somebody because they're not producing what you love fast enough. Yes, it's just like it's crappy. It's it's like it's my pet peeve. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can see that. I get into a lot of fights defending George. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, you're you are totally right, and and I would argue the same point too. uh, uh, Just that it was such a good setup. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I get a lot of people yelling at me like, "When's the next graphic audio coming out?" Do <laughs> you really? I do. It's it's a fairly regular thing. Like there are people who only interact with my work through graphic audio. Oh wow! And like, That's and they weird. get mad if there's a delay between the print book. And, and, uh, <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so pick it up. Peter. So, <laughs> Hey, now it's the balls in our court. Balls really? in your court. I right? know it's in my court. Yeah. I want to ask you a purely uh, geek fan question, and that's um, if you have any favorite movies. Oh. That's a list that changes all the time. Yeah. Well, mine does um, too, but tell us so, a couple. Uh, I really like Brotherhood of the Wolf. Has anyone seen that? Yeah. I have not. Never heard of that before. No, amazing. amazing. Okay. Um, Rose is a cinephile. It's a yeah, French. Yeah, it's sick. a French movie. Um, so you could, but but it's like all the actors speak English. So that when they redubbed it, they they all the, all the same actors did it. Oh, that's good. And so uh, you can watch the English version, and it's like the martial arts in it is amazing. The cinematography is amazing. Like there's a there's an awesome cool story. Hmm. Um, so that is one of my absolute favorites. Like I was re- like I really liked sort of. Uh, I like Quentin Tarantino movies. Like I really yeah. like The Matrix. Right now, though, like my absolute favorite movies are Marvel movies. I oh, like love. the Captain America ones in particular. Yeah, they I think knocked it out of the park pretty much. Winter Soldier is probably the best of the lot. Although Civil War like makes thirteen-year-old me so happy. Yeah. That, like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but yeah. like Captain America: Winter Soldier, I, I really like because like. Captain America can't fly. He can't shoot beams out of his hands. Right. Like, he's got to work for a living. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. they, they really, like, brought that, like, Captain America is one of my favorite characters when I was a kid. And yeah. they really, yeah. like, brought him to life. And they, like, they do the shield bounce. And they, like, yeah. Like, all yeah. The, like, and make it look plausible. Yeah. 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 Um, like, so all those little things that you used to geek out at over as a kid, like, they, they brought them to life, and you could tell they really respected the character, and they really respected the storyline. It's been line, an amazing run. I mean, there's yeah. ne- never been anything like it, I think, in terms of like uh, maintaining a franchise. Right. Yeah. yeah, To yeah. take it this far and have as many successes as they have. Right. You know, very usually few. superhero movies, it was... You'll get it. You'll hit on one, and then it might be three or four that just right. Yeah, Frequently, right. it's just the first one that's any good. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because exactly. you get a creative team that doesn't respect the source material. Right. They, and like they don't understand, and they're like, no, everything has to be over the top. Right. And it's like when you go too far over the top, it gets dumb. It mm-hmm. gets dumb. And and like to the, to the outside viewer who's not into comics, it is dumb. It is dumb. So that's so that's fine. Yeah. But to the comics fans, it's not dumb. Yeah. And like they take that stuff really seriously, and you need to present it in a way that shows respect. Yeah. And Marvel was the first 
people to do to do it were like Absolutely. they respected the source material. They sure yeah. did. Yeah, it was their own source material. Yeah, and, and they've also created. You know, we're at the point where all you know uh, a huge percentage of the big summer movies are superhero movies. Yes. Right. You know, you kind of wonder, okay, that's got to crash at some point. Yeah. And, and we've seen some indications of, of you know of them not being you know batting a thousand, but uh, certainly DC has has not been able to, no. to get to Marvel's level. But you're right. Yeah. Another sign. One is thing the they forgot was that there was a, such a thing as humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get too well, dark. They, well, they I suspect too dark. I suspect Joss Whedon will have something to say about that. But when he took over the the Justice League, uh, yeah, but ranks. I think Justice League was mostly done when he took over. So I don't know how much I th you know, he's the Whedon humor is going to find he, its way into it. It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, there was some allusions to humor to begin with, even in the early trailers. Just yeah. the uh, the, the uh, Bruce assembling the cast of characters. There was some humor in that. Yeah, it's true. Um, so Aquaman so certainly. Uh, Looks so, like he's being played for humor a lot of the time. Ju you know, even if it's just a couple of pickup shots with close-ups of characters with good lines that comment on the action, you know, you can make a huge difference. And that's that's what Joss Whedon is really good at. Yeah. Is the is the anyway, uh, you know, another side of Marvel's success is that all of our podcasts end up talking about them at the end. <laughs> that's true. That's <laughs> true. It, it, it always comes back to comedy. <laughs> 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 well, we got to we got to get Peter back on the train. I yeah. think. So, so we want to thank you, Peter, for coming in Thanks and sharing me. the day with us. It's a great day. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Great that's working so with you too. And I want to thank Rose as usual for coming in and my longtime partner in, in crime here, Dwayne <laughs> Beeman. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I think uh, I think we've done a good job of giving you a nice, entertaining uh, podcast. Absolutely. All right. Until next time. Thank Peace. you. Peace. Bye. All in your mind.